Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Seabass of WNWS of Jackson, Tennessee. We will talk National Signing Day. We will talk Vanderbilt's coaching change. We will also talk a little bit of Vanderbilt basketball as well. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. There is tons of news today. We did this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. Of course, it's National Signing Day. Vanderbilt inks a number of prospects. We will go over that in the show today. Also, the Commodores fall in basketball to Richmond at Memorial Gym. The score in that one, 78-67. Commodores down big at half, make a run in the second half but can't close. Scotty Pippen Jr. had 25 points, and the Commodores are now 2-1. and one. Seabass appears on our guest line today. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Seabass joins us from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. Sir, hope you're doing well. Seems a lot of things have happened since we spoke last. Man, I'm doing good, dude. I'm doing good. Happy signing day, friend. Happy signing day. It's crazy what they pulled off. We'll get to that in a little bit. I don't know that it's one of the five craziest things that happened on the beat this year, but uh, the number 29 signing classes we talk was not anything that I ever saw coming. No, no, no. I would have to agree with that. Plus, uh, you know, the transfer portal. And, you know, we keep seeing names – go into the transfer portal from Vanderbilt. It's, I mean, I haven't seen anything I can't live without, you know, and, and, and with, with all respect in the world, I'm just talking about from a player performance standpoint, but uh, 
you know, bringing in the Davis kid from Temple and then the, the tackle from West Virginia uh, for some depth at two critical positions to go along with this signing class and the fact that we have as many uh, January enrollees, if you will, uh, early early enrollees. Uh, hey, you know, I mean, this roster needs an injection, and it looks like it's going to get it in Clark Lee's first year. Yeah, and the 29 ranking doesn't count those two transfers either, just so people know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I anticipate there being more so out of sheer necessity, but uh, I anticipate, and I don't know who they are. I'm just saying that, you know, once Coach Lee gets in and gets everything going, because also you have to remember, you know, the other side of the coin is, I don't know how many transfers we're going to bring in when we don't know who our OC or defensive coordinators are going to be at this point. Let's come back to signing day later because there's questions in the mailbag on that, and there will be on the coaching thing too. But I wanted to hit the hire of Clark Lee, what your thoughts on that were. And, you know, they had a lot of candidates. I had, frankly, I thought a lot of really solid candidates. I don't know if Clark Lee was the right hire or the wrong hire, but I think it's one that I look at and say you can make a case it was a good one and maybe the right one. We won't know for probably three or four years, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Now that the dust is settled and the craziness is past us and, and there's time for a little bit of reflection, you know? I mean, look, that's like I told you when me and you and Bruno and they asked us, and, and I said I've been happy with any of those top three. We got one of them. Uh, and I said that admittedly the most smoke would be from Jamie Chadwell, but, you know, the more – and look, and he hadn't coached his first game yet, so I mean, we take it for what it is. But now that the dust is settled and we start analyzing and looking at things, and especially when you hear other people, other notable people, other people at Notre Dame, their fan base, uh, people that we trust in this profession, all seem to kind of be echoing the same thing about this guy. You know, now again, the guy's going to be a first time head coach, but. It seems like the structure that this program has sorely craved for a while now could be on the way. And there's a million different reasons for why, why we didn't have this, we didn't have that. I'm trying to digest everything I can from anybody who had an opinion about Clark Lee. And everything just keeps adding up to this was pretty logical hire, you know. I mean, it's when you're in it in the middle of a hire and, and names are coming out of left field and all this other stuff it's hard to really just centrally truly focus on a person. But now that it's over and now you weigh everything and you think about Coach Lee and you think about, you know, his approach and and, and, and what we need, it makes sense, right, Chris? I mean, it, it makes – it seems like, you know, especially if he is everything that everybody seems to say. And I take that into account, too. You know, it's not one of those things. But you know what I've never listened to? When somebody says, especially after somebody passes, they'll always say, you know, he could light up a room. She could light up a room. You know, it's about walking. No, well, nobody could light up a room. But when everybody pretty much from all angles says the same thing about you, chances are it's probably true. You know, and in this particular case, if it is true, Chris, how could this not be just exactly what this program needs? I look at it like this. I don't know that there was a right hire or or there was like one right hire. Like they should have landed 
as some people say, Will Healy, or they should have gone for Jeff Munkin or Lance Leipold. Like I have friends who know that program well, and I've heard that speech for all those guys from all of them. And I'm not going to sit here and tell them they're wrong. And I think that some people, well, I know people would make the same case for Clark Lee. So that that's at least four, maybe five guys. I mean, Jamie Chadwell, again, that's one that I thought if they make the hire based on what I knew at the time, that's a pretty good hire and a hire we would not have thought that they would have been able to get. So where I sort of stand is that there's a lot of people they could have made a case for. I think the way things work is when something happens, we tend to say, well, this was the right guy for this reason. We kind of tend to tune out all the other stuff. And I think if it was Jeff Monk and we'd be doing the same thing, we'd be saying, well, he was obviously the right guy or that Healy was obviously the right guy. I just think that's human nature. And by the way, I don't say any of that to be critical. I don't know who the right guy was. You could make a case to me for five or six guys, but I can understand the angle with that one for sure. I mean, it it is not a hire that I look at and say, that was an awful hire. That's for sure. I mean, if Clark Lee worked out and worked out really well, I could totally believe that. Yeah, I mean, and look, right now we don't know a thing. It looks like a very good fit for what they say uh, this program they want want to be, you know, and I need some structure right now in this program because everything has just been crazy. So do the wrong thing here, and there wouldn't have been a fan base. You wouldn't have been talking about, well, there's hardly anything left. There wouldn't have been anything left. There would have been nothing left whatsoever to hold on to with this program, and I think that he in, in next some excitement for a fan base who's trying to grasp onto anything. And, you know, uh, look, I understand the natural uh, gravitation towards offensive-minded coaches. I get all of that. But that's not a guarantee to anything. Chad Morris seemed like he should have been a great fit as a head football coach. Didn't work out best I can tell. I mean, everybody wants the the next young offensive-minded coach, and that is great, and I get it. But there's no way I am holding the fact that that, that Clark Lee is a defensive coordinator and not a young hotshot mastermind offensive guru uh, the, that he's not the next uh, yes. Joe Brady. Yeah, passing game coordinator for LSU last year. There are no guarantees here. But like I said, I mean, when you t- listen to this, the, the people talk about the relationships that this guy had with his players. Even one of them the other day, he said, you know, he was like, he benched me, and I'm telling y'all, he's the right guy for the job. Now, a lot of cats, you bench them, they're going to be bitter against you, you know. But I, he just seems to have a way to relate to people uh, that that is maybe just exactly what we need. You know, we need some structure. We need, and we needed it now. And I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I, I'm in. Now, the other side of that coin is he's got to make some good hires. No, I'll scratch that. He's got to make a couple of great hires, uh, coordinator-wise. He's got to do that. Same thing for strength and conditioning. I know it was said that he was the first two biggest, most important hires was OC and strength and conditioning. But make no mistake about it, defense too, as, as well. You know, the good news is, I mean, you look at a few of the young pieces that we have on this defense, and you look at this recruiting class, especially that defensive line. Man, I think, you know, some of these cats look out there and say, man, there's there's some things I can work with here. 
especially some of these young defensive linemen. Uh, but these coordinator hires are going to be very, very important. And let's not forget, you simply must keep Javon Hay. Not because he's a Vanderbilt guy, uh, though that helps, but because he's an up-and-coming young coach and an unreal recruiter, you know. And you cannot underscore the importance of that. You have to have the materials, uh, or it, it, none of it really matters at the end of the day. Is he ready to be a coordinator yet? No, probably not. But but he definitely belongs on this staff and a recruiter like him. And, and, and Pete Rossamondo and Tim Horton and, I don't know, maybe Aaron Henry. I'm not sure. But I think there's a couple of the assistants on this staff who this 0-9 season was simply not their fault. And I would really hope that Coach Lee considered retaining a couple of these guys. Yeah, I think people need to suspend a lot of judgments on this season, including players who opted out or quit or whatever you want to call it at season end. I mean, people just have no idea. But I want to ask you a question. Is there a buyer's remorse a candidate that you have? Explain yourself. Okay. I, mean, I know what buyer's remorse is, but yes, well, buyer's remorse is when you make a purchase and immediately you start second guessing and saying, "I should have gotten this one instead." In terms of a head coach, I wish they had gotten. Yes. I'm confused by the question, Chris. I don't mean this guy was your second choice. I mean, like, the minute they make the hire, you're going, ah, man, I don't know if it was this guy. It should have been that guy instead. And if you don't have one, that's fine. I'm not asking you for your second choice. Okay. I'm, I'm just okay. wondering, okay. like, if, if the minute it was done and it had time to settle in, you said, you know, I really wonder if they should have gone with this guy instead. No, because by the time it got done, I thought it was going to be Jeff Monken. And, and, and look, by the way, Jeff Munger's a great coach. I have nothing against him, but I just absolutely have zero interest in bringing that offense into to the SEC. I just, I just don't. I don't want it. I think it would be an impossible recruiting hump to get over. It's impossible. And I don't do that. Uh, so, so it's nothing against him because I know how well-respected he is, and I know the job that he's done. He's totally turned army around, and I appreciated that. So by the time it started rolling around, I thought it was going to be Jeff Munkin or, or, or maybe even a lower-level coach. So when Clark Lee popped back up, I was more than happy with that because he was one of my top two choices the whole time. Him and Jamie Chadwell were my top two choices the whole time. So, you know, am I upset that it was Lee over Chadwell? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm quite fine and happy with Clark, with Clark Lee as the head football coach of Vanderbilt going forward. I have one, and I'll see if you can guess. Was this person mentioned for the job? Yes. Okay. And before I guess, did they express interest in this job? Yes. Charlie Huff. No. Will Healy. Well, that was a little on the nose. I mean, I, I thought about that, but that just seemed too obvious. But I'll, I'll ride with you. Talk to me. Tell me why. I mean, and remember something. Remember that I was on the Healy train two years ago. You know I'm a fan of Will Healy's, and, and I'm not put off by anything that happened in Charlotte. I just, you know, and I'm not, not really sure why. I just, uh, he, he was my number three of the top three. 
here's my reasoning, and again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying they made the wrong hire. People are going to read between the lines of this and say, oh, Chris isn't bullish on the hire. I'm being honest with you. I, I really don't know who the right hire was, and I am fine with Clark Lee. He may be the best one. But here was my thinking on him. There are tough jobs, and there are flaming dumpster fires that you've got to come in and figure out how to rescue and get the fan base excited and all those things. He's done that, and he's also been a head coach, and I think that's one thing that nobody else on the list had. Now, again, don't know that that makes him the right candidate. You could tell me that Clark Lee was better, that Lance Leipold was better, that Jeff Munkin was better, that whoever else is better. And I wouldn't argue with you because, again, my thing from the beginning is I thought they had a lot of really good candidates, and I was going to have a hard time having a big issue with any of them. But I just think this is potentially a really special situation. Now, it may even out through transfers. The signing class is going to help. Early enrollees are going to help. Although you can't, if you're counting on freshman early enrollees to – help you turn it around, that, that, that kind of speaks for itself right away unless it's Alabama. And even then, there's some limits to the power those guys can have right away. But my point is, look, they just had a football game canceled, right? I think they were going to have 40, maybe 30-something scholarship players available to go down to Georgia. That's a bad situation for anybody. That is an especially bad situation when the team went 0-9 and 3-9 and the year before and – all the other things we know. Yeah. Hey, by the way, like, like I said, I, I, I'm a fan of Will Healy's. I, I, I think he's fantastic. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where, like, everything fit into place. That I, that may, even if I had a little bit of skepticism, once I knew that it was done and who it was, everything, that thing just seemed like it fit. Now, having said that, I mean, you're right, and you can't, you, you can't logically count on. Uh, early enrollees to be, you know, such a huge factor in the very next season, uh, especially since we don't even still don't know with everything going on in our world how it's all going to play out. There's no way I'm judging Clark Lee as a head coach in the first year unless it's complete chaos, which, I mean, by listening to everything about him, I can't see how that's going to be the case. But let's make something abundantly clear. One thing that is going to help him, if it if it comes true and it comes to fruition, and I know everybody talks about shovels in the dirt, but if I see something tangible and we really truly can recognize that this time it's real, you know, this time it's really real, and that a new day has dawned, uh, then I then I don't think there's a Vanderbilt fan out there that would say, "Wow, well, same old this and same old that," uh, because that's going to help him out. There's no doubt about it. But that might not be in 2021. We may be in a situation where just strictly because of numbers. Uh, that we're going to struggle regardless of who our football coach is. But if they truly have the backing of the athletic department and the, and the university and Kirkland Hall is no longer a true hindrance and the biggest speed bump of all, because the biggest speed bump is not the SEC opponents that we play. It's been us. So if we can cross that and we can get over that hurdle, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, it may not be 2021, but, you know, if we've got the full backing of the universe and we know everything's in place, I think we'll all be more than okay with whatever happens in 2020. I'm going to get into signing day and then getting into the mailbag after that, which will have a lot of questions on signing day. But before we do that, just for transition's sake, 
did you watch much of the basketball game today? Have you had anything in the way of thoughts on what you saw or what you've seen so far? Because I know we've really not talked basketball on any of our podcasts, and there's a portion of the audience I know that is probably dying to hear any of that. So I wanted to hit that for just a minute with whatever you have to add. Well, I only saw about five, maybe ten minutes of the game today. And unfortunately, the the half that I saw was in the first half. And what I saw is a team who has almost no one who can truly create their own shot outside of a, you know, great whip around passing, you know, and good spacing and maybe a defensive assignment being missed here and there. I'm talking about somebody who can take the ball, break your ankles and get to the bucket and open things up, force people to collapse down, kick out, finish at the bucket, whatever the case may be. We don't have a lot of that. We got a whole lot of guys waiting for something to happen, uh, and then they react. You you can't beat a team like Richmond that way. I mean, Richmond. First of all, Richmond's top twenty-five team, so uh, they're very good. Uh, but you know, of course, we had people out today, and that certainly did not help. I don't think we win if they're there. Uh, but this team. When it lacks the ability to create its own shot, it better be able to shoot really, really, really well or rebound really, really, really well, and they don't do either one of those. So when we run up against teams like Richmond, I mean, we can talk about the shots not falling, but, I mean, I really don't know how to put it any other way than this. It's a lot better than we are. They do not look quick or athletic to me. I don't know what the plan is. Does that make sense to you? I don't either. I'm not sure. I mean, they got they had the commitment this week too, out of the kid from Knoxville. I don't know what that was about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the the Presley kid. Uh, that's supposed to be a great shooter. Yeah, and if I understand correctly, uh, you know, the the inference that what that may be about is is. I think the other guard on that team at Catholic is a big four-star kid that I know they're in on uh, and that I know likes Vanderbilt a lot. And maybe this uh, this goes a long way in, in helping that. Of course, if they can get him, too, that would be, what, three players from Knox Catholic in two classes? You only get 13 of them, man. Oh, I, I get it. With the Presley kid, I mean, look, I mean, the offers are all over the place, but we, right now we need all shooters we can get. We don't have much offense. We need all the shooters we can get. I don't think offense is as big of an issue as defense. They can't defend anybody. And their effort in the first half today think, was bad. Well, like I said, I only saw a portion of this game, but, it meant, you know, we can weigh what's a bigger issue or not. They're both issues. This is not a very good basketball team. I mean, it has a chance to be eventually, but right now at this point, I know it's three games into the season. Uh, now, now there's a couple guys that I look at uh, that I would say that, you know, I expect to get better, and when they do, uh, it will certainly help. I think McBride has a little juice to his game. Uh, people were wondering about him. I can see it. I can see it with, with McBride, and, and I like Lawrence. Lawrence has got some length, and, 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 you know, he's played, what, in his second game today. So it's early on, but, you know, I, I mean, I see upside for both of those guys. The guy I'm intrigued with is Thomas. I think they got yeah, more there yeah, than I thought I they did. He looked pretty good today, and I would like to see what happens when Cleavon Brown comes back because, my goodness, they are not good in the post right now. And I don't think Clavon is special, 
But I think he's a big step up from what they're throwing out there right now. You know, and the the other thing that I would mention on the post side of things, like with Melora Brown, I mean, I just don't see anybody with an offensive post game. You know what I mean? You know, I'd like to see somebody in there. When you hit it down in the post, the defense knows, man, I'm going to need some help. You know, slide down, do something. I'm going to need some help here. But there's nobody in our post game that really has any moves to the bucket or, or can back somebody down that's going to require somebody to, to draw help to get that done. Right now, we don't have anything that even remotely resembles a consistent post score. And I was kind of hoping Malore Brown might add to that, and I haven't really seen that so far. I know it's early, but I haven't really seen much. I mean, he's moving around. He's getting loose balls. He's, he's working hard, but I don't see a whole lot of offensive skill set. I missed probably the first 10 minutes today I was doing some Christmas shopping and I had Tyler Mansfield he's now covering basketball for us so he's doing the day-to-day stuff but the mystery I had about today and I asked Tyler he didn't know what happened with Max Evans he just wasn't even on the floor for a lot of the game played 16 minutes didn't score a point you know a lot of times that is a somebody's dogging it kind of thing but Max is not the guy that's ever been that guy. So I don't know what happened with him today. And I say today, we're doing this on Wednesday afternoon. So that was a real mystery to me as well. You know, Max has provided us with some cool moments in his career, from explosive dunks to some hustle on defense to a couple games. I think it was last year where he went insane from the three-point line. You know, and again, of course, yeah, I, I didn't, again, I didn't see enough of the game to really be able to, to tell. Um, but, I mean, he's a, he's another guy. I, it, it's great if you can pop 33 in a game, but if you followed up with four, you know, and six and 10 and then two, you know, that's, it's, it's not worthless. I mean, you, you'll take the big games when you can get them, but this, but this league is all about consistency. There's a lot of guys who can get hot and do a little something, but, you know, the teams that win are the ones that the guys that come in and do it night in and night out. And outside of a guy named Scotty Pippen, and I hope you're right about uh, about Trey Thomas, who I do like, by the way. I would like to see him put a little bit of weight on. Uh, but then again, you know, I, as I say that, Chris, yeah, defensively that will hurt him. But in 2021, does he have to put weight on? I don't know. I mean, he's got some things that work for him right away, it, it appears to me. Right. I mean, he's, he's, he's quick. He's got good handles. He can get to the bucket. He can shoot. Uh, you know, defensively, he's probably not going to be able to stop much. But, I mean, I don't know, man. The game is so much different now. I, I don't know that I need my guard to be built like a tanker. I just need him to get up and down the floor, and he can certainly do that. So, I look at some of these youngsters, you know, the Thomases, the Lawrences uh, of the world, some of the guys that we were talking about just now. You know, all three of those guys, in a year from now, I could see being major contributors to this thing. The most interesting stat for them so far, they are 50 of 57 from the foul line. That's 88%. Opponents are 18 to 26. That's 69.2. Now, you know that's not going to continue. And maybe the 26 foul attempts is sort of an indictment on defense too, right? But that's really interesting. But I'll take that, you know, for a team who – what that says is for a team who's 
not overly talentedly off talented offensively. When they get the opportunity for points with a stop clock, you know, and I guess you could say free points, they're taking advantage of that. And let's face it, Chris, last couple of years there's been days where we just wanted to pull our hair our hair out watching this team shoot free throws. I'm looking at KenPalm.com right now, and it's again, it is three games in, right? And I think in my mind they have played one really good team in Richmond, one just kind of okay team in Valparaiso. And I say okay compared to the spectrum of college basketball. They were 357 teams. Valparaiso was 157 nationally. And then Mississippi Valley State, which is the worst team in the country, according to Ken Pomeroy. So that's a pretty broad cross-section of the college basketball spectrum. Now, the spectrum they're going to play is going to be tougher than that. But my goodness, I'm looking at their profile, and this has been a weird team. They are 12th in the country in offensive rebound percentage. They are 8th in the country in defensive rebound percentage, and these are in a good way. They are number one in the country in free throw to field goal attempts allowed, which a lot of that is because Mississippi Valley State only shot two foul shots, and again, it's three games in. They are number three in the country in free throw percentage at 88%. So there's some things that are really going right for them in the midst of this three-game start. Those things are probably going to regress, I'm sure. But it's interesting when you look at the profile and you see where they're really standing out so far. Yeah. Yeah, look, this story's not written for this team. Just, I mean, but... Let me just say this, Chris. When you when you watch this team, and you have, what do your eyes tell you? My eyes tell me this is the team that's going to be playing on Wednesday night in the tournament, and I'd be really surprised if it's not. Yeah, I think so. I I, I I think so. I mean, look, we we weren't. Nobody came into this season with 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 you know expectations of of. of going to the tournament. I, we're clearly not there. This is a slow rebuild, but the truth is it was in really, 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 really poor shape. You know, so it, 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 it's, it's going to take a minute. And the thing about it is, and we always have to keep this in mind, and I know everybody listening knows this, but uh, we, we, we need to go back and, and, and center ourselves and remember it's great that we're getting better, you know, inch by inch, if you will, but they're not sitting around waiting for us to get better. You know what I'm saying? These rosters that we were behind, we're still behind them because they're improving theirs too. You know, this conference is very difficult. We all know that. We weren't ever going to fix this thing in a season, you know, outside of a couple of guys who come in, you know, the Garlands and uh, the kind of – that don't get hurt, you know. I mean, no, uh, nobody has taken the one-two gut punch in this country like Vanderbilt has in basketball. Nobody. Nobody. No, I mean, you tell me somebody else – uh, that lost their two best players back-to-back seasons uh, before they really even got it going. And not anybody that I know of, you know. So you combine that with just the, you know, the, the depleted roster, and it's not a quick turnaround. And I have to keep my, I keep have to keep that in mind when I watch this thing. It has just been an off the charts situation the last five or six years in Vanderbilt sports in terms of the what ifs, right? I mean, basketball, yeah, some yeah. of the baseball stuff we've hit before, uh, it's been crazy. It has, but, you know, it, it, and it really has, but, I mean, I've wallowed in that mire for a long time. I mean, I, 
there's a reason to believe that things are getting better. And so that's where I'm going with that. Cause I've been in, I've, I've waded through the crap for a couple of years now. And, you know, I see lights at the end of the tunnel and I'm walking towards them. And I suggest that you all do the same. Yeah. I'm with you. I just, just kind of a point of fact, because when you said, it, I started thinking, you know, basketball is not the only program where that's been the case since we've started this podcast. That's right. Yeah, that's right. No, that's, that's absolutely the case, you know, and uh, it's, you know, look, there's not a ton of programs out there who every major sport that they play and they're good at, you know, there are some, but not everybody, you know, it's, I mean, even in our own conference, we know who the best football team is in there year in and year out, but they're not great at everything they do. You know, honestly, I, I would have to say that the team who's been the most consistent in the major sports over, over the, that length of time, Unless I'm not remembering correct, I think would clearly have to be the Gators, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's exactly what I would have said. We all should be uh, to aspire athletically to uh, to have the results that their athletic department does. Okay, I think instead of talking about the signing class off the top, I'm going to go into the mailbag and just hit them as we get asked there, and then at the end of that, wrap up the loose ends, if that's cool with you. Fire away, fat boy. All right. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on our podcast. VU Matt 23 says, who were some of your favorite guys in the 2021 class? What positions do you think are positions where Vanderbilt most needs transfers? Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. And the, and the position that I, I, I think that, that this, this, I mean, and which has always been like the most difficult position uh, so maybe quarterback for Vanderbilt has been the defensive line, especially the interior defensive line. And, and I think they just destroyed it uh, with this class. Uh, big ups to Javon. Hey, man, I mean, this defensive class and, and late signing Devin Lee, who has put pen to paper, you know, and, you know, we lost out on him the first time and he went to Ole Miss, left there, looked like Virginia Tech might make enough overtures to, to get him at the last second. But, Credit Coach Hay and the rest of that staff for, for sealing the deal, man. Devin Lee, I mean, I told you, man, look, I'm not going to call high school football player Aaron Nava by any stretch of the imagination. I'll never do that. Uh, but for a guy who's only about 280, uh, which think about that where we are now, Chris, only 280. <laughs> uh, but I've watched his film maybe 10 times, and I've watched every single play. You want to know something cool about this guy? He was the first person off the ball, off the snap, every time. And now, I don't just mean of the defensive line. Chris, he was the first person off the ball on either side of the line. And he didn't know the snap count. That's how fast he was. I don't care who it was. As soon as that ball even looked like it was about to move, he was across the line before any offensive lineman could get into set position uh, and, and be ready to engage. He had one of the fastest get-offs I have ever seen 
out of a defensive tackle. I mean, it, it was just amazing. I don't know how that guy's a three-star. There is no way that there is a hundred defensive tackles better than him in this country. No chance. When you talk about the just pure raw speed and go get it, and he's strong as a bull, I love Devin Lee, and Devin Lee is going to play in 2021 and not just out of necessity. But it doesn't even stop there. He's, he's matter of fact, he's the lowest rank of the – well, and they, he's ranked higher than Tyler Vince, who was our first commit, who I do like, by the way. Uh, but you look at Marcus Bradley and Terry and Sergic. I, I mean, we go to Maryland to scoop up two of the better defensive tackles in the country. Man, I got to tell you, love what they did on the defensive line. Absolutely love it. I, to me, it was just a home run hit. I look in the secondary, and I look at some of the pieces there. I love keeping John House home. He was – I've told you I want to start securing the borders best we can. And, hey, let's think about something right now. The team who's usually the one doing that, they're as vulnerable as they've been in a while. You know, things are shaking up right now, and especially with Lee coming in and, you know, the promises that are being made and hopefully get delivered – Vanderbilt football may have a little bit of juice right now in the volunteer state. I hope they can do something to lock some of these guys down. John House the fourth was a great start. Big kid, uh, position versatility. Love how they plan on using him. Uh, you know, Marlon Sewell, we thought we might lose him to Pitt. That didn't happen. You listen to some of the Southern analysts, and they rave about this guy. They love his playmaking ability. And a guy who may not be the most highly recruited player in this class, uh, but I remember talking about him a couple of months ago, uh, and that's James Ziegler out of Georgia. Uh, I, I think he's vastly, vastly underrated. I think he's going to be a player as well. And then Tyson Russell, if you think about Tyson Russell, uh, you know, he's from St. Thomas, you know, Aquinas. I mean, look. I love the fact that we have an inroad to that school. You know, they, they, they've made a big contribution to Vanderbilt from, process, from a prospect standpoint. we got three players uh, from there. So, I like Tyson Russell and uh, uh, who am I leaving out? Oh, yeah, Taco Wright, Mike Wright's brother, you know, who's, who's pretty well thought of. Uh, defensively, I mean, linebacker-wise, we'll see. You know, Michael Mincy didn't put pen to paper, and that concerns me a little bit because I think he is far and away the best linebacker prospect. Has some, you know, side-to-side, sideline-to-sideline wiggle, and I need somebody who can, you know, knock your teeth out when he hits you. Michael Mincy is that type of guy. The way he, I mean, the way he's just stifled uh, pulling linemen and in their tracks that outweigh him by 80 pounds, it's impressive. I really hope that Coach Lee – is, is able to convince Michael Mincy to stay with Vanderbilt be, and sign in February because I think he's going to come in and, and, and be a contributor right away. Um, uh, offensively, you know, uh, I, I like our receiving core. I think Quincy Skinner has a chance to be pretty good. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting, the other two guys, Ezra McAllister, you know, and I know he had a, what was it, Chris, an ACL injury or something like that. Uh, that he's going to have to get over, and we'll see if it hinders his availability uh, to be ready for August. I'm not sure exactly when in the season he he tore that ACL, but he's a pure slot. You know, he's a pure slot. We could use one of those with some absolute wiggle after the catch. Got some speed, but just got some moves uh, and and plays with a tenacity that 
you don't usually see out of a slot receiver, but that's what it is. And uh, the other guy uh, in that receiving core who I was floored, I even commented about him when I watched his film, and that was the, one of our newest commits, uh, Jamarian Carter, the young man who was committed to, to Liberty and decommitted, and they picked him up a couple of days later. Chris, what I like about him and what I mentioned after, after watching the film was for a guy who's 6'3", about 185, what I love about this guy, I mean, first of all, he's got wheels. He's got a long stride. He's got good hands. But what was interesting, if you go watch his film, Chris, you'll see a guy who even at 6'3", and I hope you understand what I mean when I say this, and I know you do, he runs his routes like a guy who's 5'11 would be able to. You know what I mean? Sometimes when they're long like that, they're a little bit lanky. You know, they're lanky. You know, they're a little bit more awkward when they run. He runs his routes as if he's 5'11", but all the advantage of length and, and being 6'3", and a long stride. You don't see that very often, but that's the first thing that jumped off the film at me. I was like, how is a guy this size running routes this way? You know, they're not generally supposed to be able to do that. He did it, and it was immediate. And the other thing was it was very consistent. He did it over and over and over again. That's what I like to see. Uh, I was very pleased with the with the wide receiver position. Are there true difference makers? Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. For one, I don't know what kind of offense we're going to run. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, O-line-wise, you know, one thing that I like, Chris, is, and I don't know about you, now, again, I thought the offensive line, especially considering what we were expecting this year, I thought they performed well. You know, especially considering the opt-outs, I, I, I can't complain about the offensive line. Were they great? No. But they were far better than I expected. So tip of the cap to them. But one thing they needed was some size, some big natural beef. They got it. They got it in a couple of them. Delphin Castillo, 6'5", 340-pound mauler. Mauler from the Sunshine State. Uh, Gabe Pitchford, I think, could be ready to play pretty quick. 6'6", 290, big kid out of Georgia. Uh, a couple of more, let's see, from the offensive line side of things. Now, the Gunnar Hansen kid's another guy from uh, from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas that apparently uh, he got with the, the, the strength and conditioning coach, worked on his game, worked on his technique, and just kind of – a place with a real nasty streak and really seems to have uh, come on uh, and elevated his stock, you know, in, in his final year. He's 6'3", 315. And, and you just look at this, Jake Ketchik, 6'4", 305. He's a kid out of New Jersey. Now, I watch him on film. I think he's going to need to redistribute the weight a little bit. Uh, you know, he's already over 305. I'd like to see him play at 315, but maybe a little bit redistributed. But one thing that is quite clear uh, he's nasty. I mean, he plays the game with an edge. You know, he's looking to hurt people. That's what I need. I need an offensive line, a group of people who not only play smart, who have great technique, but are looking to hurt some people. I mean, hurt them. Put them down in the ground. I don't see a tight end in this class. You know, now, now we'll see about the young man from Florida who, who, who did not end up really playing this year that we thought was going to. Maybe he, he ends up popping and doing, and doing real, real well. We, I don't see a lot of effective tight end depth. We didn't sign one and, of course, didn't get a quarterback. And, you know, now the young man from, from Jersey, uh, the Smith kid, who's 
sign but not be public. Uh, I loved his film. The the ratings and the offers aren't really there. The uh, the the film looked good. Uh, Dylan Polly didn't Dylan Best Polly's got some academic work to do, I guess, maybe before he signs. Uh, but at quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end, I guess Chris and eh, eh, I guess it's all right. But you know, one thing I will say is this. We did get the the, the Temple uh, transfer, so I think that kind of takes the place uh, in, in the running game. So I'm cool there. And we've got some really good young quarterbacks right now. One of the things about the quarterback position, I think, is that people are, are looking, and they can clearly see that this is Clint, Ken Seals' quarterback room, followed by Mike Wright. And they're thinking, well, there's not a lot of playing time. This guy's going to be around another three years. But, I mean, I think that you have to have three, four capable quarterbacks at any particular time. And I don't know that they have that. So if injuries start to pile up, that could be an issue. Uh, so that's a position that I'll be looking at. But overall, I mean, especially this team went 0-9 and, and fired its coach. And to be able to hold on to this class and, you know, nobody really knows what we're going to do, you know, schematically and who's going to stay and who's going to go. I don't think that you could have asked for, for much better from this class and by the way if they are able to and hopefully and i think they will but we'll see uh he's not going to sign in the early signing period but cj taylor would be another guy who could play multiple positions and come in uh, and, and play i think right away so uh having said that look at looking at this class you know for an 0 9 football team it was one of the worst maybe the worst power five team in football you have to love this class i i, I really I really think this is one of the better classes that that Mason and I, I can say put together because you have to give him a lot of credit for this. He he was a big part of this, uh, but this is one of the better classes that I've seen this team put it put together in a while, at least on paper. Couple of loose ends to tie up there. Taylor, I'm told, is not a concern to sign. They'll get him in the spring. We think they're going to get Mincy too. He bets Polly, I'm not as sure about. But just for folks wondering, uh, and the Smith kid too, of course, will be in there. I just want to tie those up. Tight end to me, you know, they've got Bresnahan, I guess, for two more years, unless he goes early after a junior year. I don't know where he's ranked as a pro prospect. LaMonica, Diego LaMonica, I was told, looked really good in a lot of the offseason workouts. I don't know where that kid went. And, of course, they got ball to Corsi. So, I didn't think tight end was a must-take for them in this class. What did you see out of them? Let me put it better, okay? I want to know more about those guys. Fair enough? Fair enough. I mean, they probably needed one anyway, right? Because you probably need one in every class unless you sign three in one class or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, look, they need everything, right? Yeah, because, you know, and look, like I said, while, while this class is very, very good comparatively to its conference counterpoint, part, it's not all that much, and those are the people that are going to be playing. Uh, but, again, this is not going to be an uh, – I don't know how this could be an 85-player roster next year. NBA Door said, with this class essentially sticking together and adding more to the fold post-Mason firing – is that an indictment of Mason as a coach that his firing had little impact, or do we attribute that impact of COVID to the class holding together? I don't know because you listen to some of these guys when they were asked about that, and they were, and a couple of them were commenting saying, "Look, I mean, you know, 
we're here for the city, for the education, for the the, the values that that this university has that's important to us. And you know, and it, you know, we appreciate Coach Mason, but it really wasn't as much about him. You know, plus, like I said, we've got a couple of assistants that are rock stars, man, at what they're doing. You know, who have done a great job. I mean, I want you to think about the job that, and I keep saying Javon Hayes because we know Javon. Um, but Javon and some of the other guys, I mean, think about this job that they've done. And you could say, yeah, but they're, you know, they're auditioning. Well, yeah, <laughs> sure they are. But think about, think about being able to do your job at a level to bring in the Bradleys and the Lees of the world at the end of the day when you weren't even sure if you were going to have a job or even if you do, you know, um, what it's going to be, you know, what your role is going to be, who's going to be your new boss. You know, how do you sell that to somebody when they have people? How do you sell that to Devin Lee when Virginia Tech's beating down his door? How do you do that? They did that. You know, they did that. Is this an indictment on Derek Mason? Uh, nah, I, I, I don't. I don't really think so. You know, it's like I told you the uh, the other day. I mean, we all focus on – look, as fans, we want to focus on the head coach. And it's important. I'm not saying it's not, you know. But there are so many other factors that go into why a kid chooses a place. They fall in love with it. It's close to home. has their major. Uh, it has an emphasis that they're looking for, like academics, you know. Or they fall in love with their recruiting coordinator because that's who they talk to, them and their position coordinator and the position coaches. And, and that's who they spend a lot of their time developing those relationships with it. You know, the, the, the head coach is just the, the cherry on top, you know. It's great that you have a, a closer like that. And, and you know, you, you always want to have one. But I'm just telling you, they're just part of the equation. They are not the end all. Will you lose some people when they're your head coach leaves? Sure you will. That the way this thing held together was less about what Mason was or was not and more about the other things that this school offers and what those kids were looking for and the job that the assistants were still there that they did. That makes sense to you? Yeah, it does. VU Titans, and this is where we shift to more of the staff questions. We and we can hit on signing day at the end if there's anything we didn't hit on. What are you looking for in an offensive coordinator for Vanderbilt? You know, that's that's that's, that's a great question, Chris. And I I don't want to do something as pitiful as say I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know what I want out. You know, Chris, conceptually, when I was young. When I was about 14, 15 years old, I had a, a, a vision in my mind of, you know, I wanted to be a coach and I wanted to be a play caller and a coordinator. And I had an offense that looked like this, Chris. It had five linemen. It had a quarterback flanked by a, a running back on either side of him out of the shotgun uh, with two wide receivers and an H, if you will, or a, or a Y, where I could run the option I could have my court, my running backs, you know, I could fake dives, want run wheel routes. I would have a mobile quarterback who could run the ball at the same time. Uh, and, and like we were talking about with Bruno last week, just just put an offense to our defense to the test uh, on every single play. You know, so as far as schematics go, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not beholden to a particular uh, particular style. I, I think one, it has to fit the personnel. You know, you, you know, Bill Curry wanted to make Tim Couch an option quarterback. I mean, duh. 
you know, uh, it, a lot of the times it, it, it's, it's about your personnel. And I think that Clark Lee is going to look at this and say, okay, what do I have in Kinsale? You know, I, ha- I have a smart, uh, tough-minded quarterback with good size who is plenty mobile. He's not out to rush for 1,000 yards, but pocket, uh, who does not, not pay. Um, I got some really good-looking young running backs that uh, – uh, that I'm that I'm pretty pleased with, and I think are going to be pretty good going forward. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, was there a bigger surprise on this team year this year, Chris, uh, than Keon Henry Brooks? No, now, no, there was not. You got to play as as you saw, you saw him as a true freshman. I know he had that one play. I don't remember they were playing. They busted off the right side, went seventy yards, and the hole was wide open. There was nobody there. You know, this dude is tough as nails. You know, he's a very – you know who he reminds me of, Chris? I don't even want to say this because that's going to sound stupid. But, you know, the flashes that I saw out of him this year, you know who he reminded me of a little bit? He reminded me a little bit of that year we got to see out of Raymond Perkins. Yeah, he reminded me – well, Ralph Webb's not a good comp. I, maybe a little bit faster, Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got a great skill set, and he and he showed us a couple things. He showed us not only does he have speed and, and good field vision, but he's got good hands, and he's intense. And if you have noticed what happens when he gets done with the ball, he turns around and he wants to make sure whoever tackles him knows. He, he wants you to know he'll see you on the next play. Uh, Henry Brooks is another piece I could build around. So I, if you're looking for a particular formation or, or percentage of passes versus run, I'm not beholden to any of those. You know, I it, I think it depends on, on, on the personnel. I think it depends on who we're bringing in as an offensive coordinator, you know, which, I mean, I don't even have – I can't even begin to speculate on that. I don't know who he knows uh, in in that regards or who he's he's developed the relationships with. You know, I, I, I did see the mailbag before, and I know somebody's asking – uh, about that, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea where he's going uh, in, in regards to that. Uh, just that he's play, play, placing a premium and emphasis, emphasis on it, as he clearly should. I think it's the most important hire. If there's anything that we need to do uh, to help a position out, make it easy as possible uh, for this transition, and I, that's why I really hope Coach Rosamondo. Uh, is, is retained. I really hope that that's the case. I really like him. And I don't want these young men to have to learn a third offensive line coach in three years. You know how hard that would be? You know, I don't care who you are. Uh, that that would be extremely difficult. We need to make this as easy as possible for our offensive line. You know, I mean, I don't think that we can ask them to blast, uh, you know, blast the SEC defenses off the line and try to get five yards of carry. I don't know that they're ready to do anything like that until they can start building up that depth, uh, that depth and be a little bit more consistent. But uh, one of the things that I would look at from a schematic standpoint was what would be uh, the easiest on my offensive line. Bear 8000 asks, what type of offense would you like to see under Clark Lee at Vanderbilt? And is the talent there now to run the offense you want here? By the way, your offense sounded a little bit like the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> a little bit of hey, everything man, but, in but, it. But, but, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, and I've, I've seen it bear. I've seen that. I mean, I was thinking about that before it was ever a thing. And I was thinking, 
what if you could do this? Because there's so many different things you could throw on all three levels, you know, to short, intermediate, to over the top, uh, the options in play. Uh, boundary to boundary, you know, especially with a with a mobile quarterback. I mean, your your options would be only limited by you. And as far as the question that Bear just asked, I basically just answered that with the previous question. What do you think the chances are of Clark Lee getting some of the opt-outs to come back, or should he even want them back since fairly unfairly, some say they quit on the team and teammates? This is, it's different right now. You know, I mean, if you, you, the normal rules do not apply right now. You know, were there some that just said, screw it, I quit? You know, yeah, sure. It might be better if they look around at some other things. But I don't know why every player opted out. You know, there could be le- absolutely legitimate reasons for that, you know. And the truth of the matter, look, Clark Lee's going to have to decide how, what he wants his program to look like. And that's up to him to make that decision. Uh, if he is, is satisfied with it, uh, then I'm going to be satisfied with it. Because the, 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 all the things that you hear about Clark, uh, this is not a stupid man. If, if he has the Tim Corbin seal of approval, then I know that he's going to do his due diligence with anybody who's saying, I want back in. Here's why. And, and he's going to ask him, well, what was the situation? Why did you opt out? I was concerned for my health. I maybe had a pre-existing condition, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I would like the opportunity to come back and put on the black and gold. And I'm going to trust Clark Lee on that. You know, if it's good enough for him, it's going to be good enough for me until it's not. Yeah, I'm just going to urge people to suspend judgment on players because they think they know what happened and they don't. You don't know. You don't know. I mean, that'd be like, you know, like, you know, those people in the stands, you know, they didn't know what I was going through in my life. And, and, and I don't know what those players – you you know what? The truth of the matter is that outside of looking at their face in a program, most of us, most of the people listening to this podcast outside of somebody like Ken Seals, like if I were just to name a random player, you wouldn't know what they look like. You wouldn't know anything about their personality. You might be able to read in the – in the you know in the media guide what their major is and where they're from but you don't know anything about them and what they're like and what they're going through you know and those are real issues for these cats so you know these aren't excuses that are being made as i said the normal rules do not apply here now they just quit hey you know they're just like screw this don't do it you know like i said maybe this is an opportunity for them to find something else but i mean i guarantee you there's a million different reasons why some of these kids opted out and I think, hey, look, what what would it hurt for Clark Lee to listen to each one of them, who, whoever decides they want to opt back in? Uh, what's it going to hurt? Sit down and listen to tell me a story. Let's talk about it. If I feel like uh, that's something that I can jive with and that, that uh, you are a, uh, would be a benefit going forward to Vanderbilt football, then why would you clo- keep that door closed? The next one comes – from Bobby, two times, who do you think should be the top five targets for offensive and defensive coordinator? What do you think is the biggest need for this class in February? Well, we sort of went through that. I guess our answer would be tight end. Right. So, uh, well, and, and well, quarterback maybe, but, I mean, I, I would, the quarterbacks at this point are probably projects. That, that and like I said, you know, now you, you point of clarification, you felt like they're – they're 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 good with Mincy, uh, that, which is important. I, I think that's right. I, I'm tired of this, seeing this team get pushed around. You know what I mean? Uh, and and to me, that starts with that front seven. 
and that class that they're bringing in, you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm really hopeful that uh, they can get Davion Davis back in the fold. I think he's important. I'd like to see uh, Watkins back a, another time with some of these other guys. I mean, then all of a sudden, man, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's it harder to move at the point of attack, and and guys like Mincy would certainly help. But I mean, I'm a little bit concerned, at least right now, going forward about that linebacking core, Chris. So I'd like to I'd like to bring in a few more linebackers in February, be it transfer portal or whatever. I'd like to get a couple more in the LBs. What do you say? Well, someone said this on the board today, and I agree with this totally. They desperately need transfer corners and linebackers. Oh, my goodness, they were so bad there. Corners in particular, I mean, did they win a foot race against anybody all year? No, no. I mean, they're they're they're, they're clearly not good there. But I, I, what I will say is uh, – I, I, I don't hate some of their young defensive backs. I don't hate any of them, actually. But uh, the, some of their young backs, defensive backs, I like. I really like Gabe Judy Lolly. I mean, boy, he's really started. He's, he's started to come around, you know. I, I really like him. Uh, he, he, he's won. Um, Jalen Mahoney, I still like. I don't think he had quite the year that we were hoping for, but none of them did. Uh, but both of those guys, I think you can make real arguments for. And then another guy, of course, depending on what position he would play. This honestly, I don't know, and maybe you have an update. I know it's a, a tough situation, but um, it's it, Ricky Wright. I mean, are his plans to, to continue playing football while he's in school? Uh, because I think he's a big part of that equation. Be it in the secondary linebacker, or however they plan on using him, I, they definitely need him. By the way, we have news we can use that is broken right as the podcast is going. This tweet from Caroline Lee. Do we have enough C. Lees in the world right now? Or what, Mm. by the way? Hey. We are thrilled at the passing of the blanket waiver as we believe it is in line with Division I SAAC ensuring that all of our student-athletes have the best opportunity to thrive both academically and athletically. There's a little bit more in the tweet, but basically anybody who transfers is available right now. You can play right away. Which is certainly big for Davis and the uh, the, the young man from West Virginia who I, I can't say his last name. Ooh. The kid from West Virginia. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that was funny. Um, that is potentially enormous for them, right? And I would think that if you can recruit high school kids, you can recruit transfers too. I, mean, I don't want what the numbers end up looking like if, if they end up giving a waiver on the number in the class. But that's the one thing, because I have felt like no matter what. And they look, they probably are anyway, right? Yeah. Because 0-9 team and, and you lost that many guys. But, I mean, that is now their hope that it doesn't have to be what we thought it would be the first year. And maybe by the time you get to year two, you're respectable. I mean, who knows, right? We're living in a crazy upside-down world. But to me... Well, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a program that that's better news to than the one you and I are covering. 
I don't think there's any question, and and, it's, and specifically, I'm I don't know as far as a cap on numbers. Is there a cap on numbers of transfers that they can bring in? I mean, I know we can't sign 50 high school players. I understand that, even if the roster has the need. But is there a cap on transfers? The scholarship cap has always been there, and of course, you can count signees in different classes. I have no idea how the math on that's going to work, but. You know, I wonder if they're changing that, if they might not have some leeway on the other things, too. Because from what I understand, it's been talked about a while, but nothing's been passed yet. I know that's a very vague and dodgy answer. I have My best friend happens to be in compliance at another NCAA school. It's not a Division One school, but I ask him these things every now and then. And last I talked to him about a week ago, they hadn't lifted the caps on signing classes and that kind of thing yet, and transfers counted, but there had been buzz that it might. But anyway, what I'm saying is here you have evidence the NCA has sort of already waived one thing, although there was momentum for that before there was COVID. So maybe it's just a separate thing and I'm overanalyzing. But when I read this, my first thought is I think this could really help them. The only thing that I got from that whole thing is that I'm not your best friend. <laughs> you know, this year has taken a direction I have not expected all year. So, why not that too, right? Why not, my friend? What else you got? I got about uh, 10 minutes. Okay. Ann Arbor says, it wasn't long ago that Javon Hay was a volunteer assistant. What kind of long-term potential do you see in him as a coordinator? See, that's very difficult to answer, okay? Because... Outside of the of Dio, the defensive line did not exactly produce this year. Is that a is that a fair statement? Well, Mincy did but, at times. Whatever I mean, you want to call him, but yeah, yeah. But but I mean, is that was was that an indictment on Javon? I, I, I don't I don't really think so. Uh, I, I can't speak to him as a coordinator yet. You know, I mean, the only thing I know for sure is he is one outlandish recruiter. And the prospects love him. I, and I know his players love him. And that, that that's a huge piece of the puzzle. But when you talk about making him a coordinator, I mean, I, I think he's got to, frankly, pay more dues, you know. And believe me, you know how much I love Javon. He's a great dude. Uh, he knows his stuff, and he loves that school. Uh, trajectory as a coordinator, Chris, I don't really know how to answer that. I haven't seen enough of that. Well, let's cut to the chase, Okay. They got Ted Roof a year ago, which I thought was a fantastic hire for them. It didn't pan out, but, I mean, this year was crazy, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Ted Roof's track record uh, speaks for itself. I just think he got – I wonder if he got eaten up by the situation, which ate a lot of people up this year. Point being, they have been able to throw money and get good coordinators or decent coordinators – so I don't think that you – no offense to Javon. He's done a tremendous job, and he's got to have a place on his staff for all the reasons we've discussed. But I think you can go out and find an established coordinator with the money that they have thrown at people in the past. And, oh, by the way, now that everybody thinks resources are opening up even more, I think it becomes more of a case that you can do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, again, uh, I, 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 if Javon hears this, we love you. I think you're fantastic. But I mean, I don't know how we. I don't know how you could literally say that he is ready to be a defensive coordinator, because the the body of work's not there yet. You know, from a result standpoint, I mean, like I said, the defensive line was 
you know, for whatever reason it is, I mean, if somebody's going to be my coordinator, I either would say have to say this guy's been a rock star position coach, and uh, and 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 his position has been killing it for a couple of years, and it is just his time. I don't. He's not there yet. I can't. I can't put that on him yet because he's not there yet. Do I think he has the ability? Sure, I do. I mean, you know how great it is when you can look at one of your players and say, not only do I know what it's like to play, I know what it's like to play here. here. I know what you're going through and let me, and look, I know that you're a different player than I was, but let me tell you how it worked for me. Let me tell you, let me show you some tips that helped me have a a nice career in the NFL Uh, to be able to pass that on to your players is as invaluable as it it can get. That doesn't mean he's ready to be a coordinator because nothing says that. Vandy guy 20 asks, how do you feel about Clark Lee staying in South Bend to coach this weekend after, or to coach this weekend rather than focusing completely on Vanderbilt? I think that Clark Lee absolutely has earned the opportunity to do so, and I'm quite fine with it. Clark Lee, if he was entertaining the possibility of becoming a head coach sooner than later, then he already had an idea of some of the people he wants. You know that, right, Chris? You know that. I mean, right. that means like, get all of them. But, but everyone, everyone, anybody who's in that position already has a book together. You know, Chris Ballard, the Colts general manager, had a binder like 50 feet thick of all the stuff that he was going to do the second he became an, a, a general manager. He didn't do it. He didn't get the job and then start putting it all together. He'd already played that out in his mind. Now, clearly, there'll be adjustments on anything in the world when it comes to stuff like that, but you already have an idea of some of the people that you're going to reach out to, and I know he already has. I know he's done that for sure, uh, but I don't, I don't have a, a problem in the world with him finishing the job there at Notre Dame. They're the number two team in the country. He's a massive part of that. And I'm quite okay. Look, Vanderbilt will still be there. <laughs> the situation's going to be what it's going to be when he gets done in a couple of weeks with Notre Dame. I got no issue with that. How about, how about you? No, I don't. I think it's fairly standard practice. I'm trying to think how long coaches in those spots usually get in terms of leeway. And this year, even if I knew that right, this year's different with COVID and timelines and everybody's still getting used to the new signing day. So like even whatever examples we'd want to use in the past, they're not apples to apples comparisons anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I have no problem with it whatsoever. J2M says, why would an AD say they wanted an offensive minded coach and then hire a defensive coordinator? I don't know. I don't know. I I have no idea. Uh, The only thing I know is that I'm quite satisfied with the coach that we got. And why she said that, who knows? You know, for one, maybe they had a completely different person in mind uh, or a group of people in mind initially. And for all I know, Chris, they were utterly blown away by what Clark Lee had to say. And they felt that, hey, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we might have been looking for said thing, but sometimes when you when you find the goods, you know it. And I've heard people say, you know, 
nobody else wanted Clark Lee as their head coach. First of all, Boston College did before. Uh, and secondly, that was a matter of time, especially when you consider the success that Notre Dame has been having defensively with him calling the shots. That was just a matter of time. It just was. And sometimes when you find somebody, and you, if, if I sit down and I'm interviewing people and I find somebody that's like, this, this is what I want. This is perfect for me. I had a preconceived notion of what I was looking for, but this person kind of blew it out and, and made me realize that maybe I didn't quite know exactly what it is that I was truly looking for. And then when I met them and sat down with them, uh, they changed they changed my way of looking at it. So, I mean, I hear you, you know, but I'm not tore up about that. I, I, I'm quite fine with the hire they got and the fact that he's not an OC, uh, even though they said that they were looking for something like that, doesn't faze me a bit. The last question comes from Door King. It says, how many years until Clark Lee gets Vanderbilt to another bowl? <laughs> 2021, baby. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, there's so many moving, uh, Chris, and when we always, you know, has there, is there ever going to be more moving parts than this right here? Probably you know, not. I mean, here, here's how you answer this question. All right. Put your two deep depth chart together right now. Not you, Chris, but, but if, if we're asking this question, I, I wouldn't even begin to try. No, you, know, you can't. And, and, and what you would see is that, uh, yeah, you cannot even come remotely close to it. And by the way, uh, once September comes, you would see that probably half of it's wrong, at least. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm inspired. I'm excited. And let's not forget, at the end of the day, all these promises have to come true. You know, they won't be playing in a big new cathedral in 2021, clearly. But we'll know the difference. Vanderbilt fans are not stupid people. Uh, we will know if the commitment's real, you know, well, or, or, we're, or we're getting just a snow job here. Uh, that's going to matter. I don't know who the coordinator is going to be. I don't know what type of offense or defense we're going to run. Uh, so to, to, to make any kind of projections on what the season's going to look like, uh, you know, or when the next bowl's coming, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If we play a regular season as we always have, non-COVID in 2021, I'm not sure they're a bowl team quite yet just because there's so many unanswered questions. But here's what I would say. A year after that, you have a, a, a junior Ken Seals, and that's a hell of a place to start. I would say to you that if, if Lee's the real deal and he gets the right coaches in place, may not be 2021, but in 2022, junior quarterback Ken Seals would lead this team to a 7-5 and five record and a bowl game. Okay, I'm going to try a little exercise for you. And by the way, you know, here's another thing. I think conditions in that program got pretty miserable. It, it, I know this is no secret for anybody who listens to the podcast. There may be kids that just won out of Vanderbilt, period. I don't think that would surprise me at all. In fact, it would not surprise me at all. So the, the transfer thing could work against them a little bit. I think it'll help them more than it'll hurt them. But now that I think about it a little bit more, I just want to add that for context. But I think this really says it. How many guys would you say right now that you could pencil in the starting lineup for the opener next year with 80% certainty? How many names is that list? Uh, can I leave out special teams? <laughs> yes, we're going to leave out uh, special teams. 
Although I'm guessing you Harrison know, Smith I mean, will punt. But yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, is, is Bresnahan going to be a starting tight end? Yeah. Are my receivers likely to be Cam Johnson and uh, Bill Roman? And you know, you get here. here here's the other the, the thing that you have to factor into that, which we have no way of knowing. Any of these guys can come back. You know, even the guys who are supposed to have exhausted their eligibility. Chris Pierce could come back. And I, and by the way, that would be freaking huge, don't you think, if Chris Pierce yeah. came back next year? I think that would help them because a lot. Because he was – oh, man, there's there's no question about it. I mean, we say the most improved player was Keon uh, Henry Brooks, but that may not be right. It may be Chris Pierce. Chris Pierce was that blocking wide receiver who would snag a – uh, an intermediate route at best every now and then, then fall down after the catch. This dude looked like a completely different football player last year or this past season. Having him back would be huge, you know. And then you know, and, and he could that could happen, you know. That that, that could absolutely happen. So I'd, maybe I'd pencil somebody like him. And I did. I thought I read where Tyler Steen's looking to come back on the defensive side of the ball. Good grief! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, you may have eight, nine different new starters. I think Jalen Mahoney is certainly going to be one. I think Donovan Kaufman is going to be one. I mean, look, Donovan Kaufman is going to come back. And let me just let me let me let me tell you a picture, a scenario that I'm looking at. All right, Chris, I'm looking at it two years from now, and I'm looking at Tyrion Surgic and Marcus Bradley and Devin Lee and Donovan Kaufman, you know, and Michael Mincy. You know, and guys like that. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at a completely type diff, different type of defense from what we have seen in the last three or four years where he had systematically been beat to death and pushed all over the field. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at a, a hungry, savage pack of wolves reminiscent of the 90s. Seen a whole lot like that in a long, long time. But, you know, I, I, I think some of the material that we have to work with now uh, going forward uh, would lend itself to defensive success, but putting a depth chart together, you know, and projecting how many guys that I could name as the starter right now uh, for next year, I think that both of the orgies would have to be uh, that if they're both back, you know, both of those guys are ones that I would certainly take a look at. I don't think there's a whole lot of certainty outside of some of those guys, you know, uh, but I don't know, maybe about, eight, nine of the guys, but I would say at least half of those starting jobs with offensive defense combined are definitely up in the air. Okay, let me play devil's advocate for a second. And You like to do that. I do. That's kind of why I'm here is to be the resident skeptic. But, and maybe again, maybe this is a, it was a COVID year. It was a crazy year inside that locker room and inside that program. And maybe everybody gets a pass. Although I would say you had guys like Ken Seals and Cam Johnson who made it work. But the one thing that we said, if there was anything close to a certainty on the team coming into the year is that they would be better on the defensive line. And that never really happened. I mean, Lang- Langham wasn't a factor at all. Derek Green was a little bit of factor. Wilkins was a factor at first. Davion Davis, you know, wasn't even on the team for the Tennessee game. Rutger Reitmeyer, God knows. I see that's another one. Reitmeyer was the guy to me in what we watched in spring 
who was taking the leap, and he was a total non-factor, complete non-factor. I look at that, I think before we start getting really excited about the defensive line, um, I think there needs to be some rewind of what just happened. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know what I thought before the season, and I know what you thought before the season. And I was never saying that this was going to be like a top half of the SEC defensive line. I, I just thought that maybe instead of fielding the 14th best line in the league, you know, it might end up ninth or 10th. And it was not that at all. No, and I have no answer as to why that was the case. You know, so I'm not even going to try to venture a guess because you're right. I mean, I, I, I thought Rutgers was going to show out this year, and it simply didn't happen. And could have been a million different reasons why. And sometimes, sometimes they just miss. But he just, you know, I mean, he was one of the guys that stuck out and looked like he was, you know, poised for a big year, and and then that just did not happen. Yeah, and and I get you. You know, I shouldn't get too hyped up about this defensive line class uh, because of some of the other things that happened. But here's what I would say to you: if they had signed four four stars whose best offer was, you know, maybe two lane, I guarantee you'd have a note a preconceived notion about them, wouldn't you? Right. So, so I mean, and, and I know that works both ways, and I get that, but. You know, you can have those four, and I'll take the four we signed, and I'll take my chances. That is the end of the mailbag. Do you have any thoughts as we wrap up here? How'd I do, Chris? I'm very, I'm very anxious. How'd I do? I think we had a good show today. I do too, man. Especially the parts where you were talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> as always. All right. You know, you, you know what I'm going to do now. Have at it. I'm going to do a two-hour talk show. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the two-hour podcast we just man. did. Yes, it just never ends, my friend. But well, that's all right. Just beat the dig in the pitch. Tell people where they can find it, please. Uh, you should because I have a good show, uh, and I need more Vanderbilt fans. It's uh, the Cheap Seats on 101.5 FM from 6 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday in Jackson, Tennessee. And you can find me on Twitter, unless you yak it up about some Commodore athletics, it's a great time to be a Commodore. You can find me on Twitter at, at Cheap Seats Bass. That's at Cheap Seats Bass. Thank you, my man. And with that, we will end the show. He is Seabass. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.